Thank you for choosing Tox News, your only source to what is beneath Tim Pool's beanie. I am your host, Tyler Civics. Today's date is April 9th, 2021, and we begin with a POA, per usual. I pledge allegiance to liberty and justice for all. As always, I thank you multiple times for joining me. I'm sure this will not be the last. Uh, we didn't have a weekly militia watch update, but still I want to do one of the, uh, studies they had produced from last week's update. And I'm only going to do the introduction. Um, we, uh, definitely have, uh, a lot to get into. So, uh, mainly in the George Floyd realm and Tim Pool's analysis of that. And that's why I gave that weird intro at the beginning. Um, so I, I, I mostly want to focus on, on that and that's, that's exactly what I plan to do. But to begin first, uh, I want to focus in on a study that came from Avaz and I will include this, uh, article in the description. So find it there if you want to elaborate more, but, uh, Facebook, it, the, the study itself is called Facebook from election to insurrection, how Facebook failed voters and nearly set democracy aflame. As last week, I covered um, another study that has been watching how badly Facebook is attending to its militia groups and its communities that are on its platform. And this one I want to just uh, introduce to people through its introduction and, uh, you know, kind of open the gateways to more research. So, it begins, the violence on Capitol Hill showed us that what happens on Facebook does not stay on Facebook. Viral, conspiratorial narratives cost American lives and almost set American democracy aflame. Since the election, Facebook's leadership has tried to paint a picture that the platform performed well, suggesting that it made a lot of progress in its efforts to protect American voters and American democracy. Furthermore, it has downplayed the platform's role in fueling the J6 violence, claiming that other small, smaller platforms were mainly to blame. Yet evidence collected by Avaz's anti-disinformation team throughout a period of 15 months between October 2019 and Inauguration Day on January 20th, 2021, tells a different story. Throughout our team's efforts to defend democracy against disinformation and misinformation we found that false and misleading content on the platform was surpassing the levels reported ahead of the 2016 election as early as november 2019 and the pro the problem only got worse by august 2020 our team had detect detected hundreds of pages and groups that were repeatedly sharing misinformation much of which was designed to polarize american society and break down trust in america's democratic institutions some pages and groups were posing violent imagery or countering official health advice related to COVID-19. Centrally, our research also showed dangerous gaps in Facebook's moderation policies that allowed false and misleading content to go undetected for days, amassing tens of millions of views. Seeing this threat unfold in real time, Avaz and many other civil society organizations recommended urgent policy solutions to Facebook, yet the platform refused to adopt any of these steps with the urgency required, often only taking action after significant harm was done such as the violence in kenosha or the viral uh, growth of the stop the steal movement 
This report provides an overarching view of the entire election season, including key statistics that highlight the extent to which Facebook's refusal to act in a timely and effective manner harmed America's information ecosystem. It shows that Facebook largely failed uh, America in its most crucial election cycle in decades, leaving voters exposed to a surge of toxic lies and conspiracy theories. As a result, Facebook was a significant catalyst in creating the conditions that swept America down the dark path from election to insurrection. For the problem was not just the explicit calls to storm the Capitol that circulated on their platform before January 6th, it was also the larger ecosystem of lies and conspiracy theories that Facebook's recommendation algorithms helped uh, maturate for the entire year before the election, radicalizing many Americans. As a recent study of those charged with taking part in the J6 siege shows, over half, about 55%, were not connected to extremist groups, but rather were inspired by a range of extremist narratives, conspiracy theories, and personal motivations. As lawmakers call for a 9-11-style commission on the insurrection, it shows how they would be remiss to focus the investigation on just Trump and his allies on the Hill without taking a deeper look at the tools that empowered them. Because even now, although Facebook has reactively taken action against some of these entities that encourage the insurrection, the platform continues to refuse to adopt structural changes and the algorithmic transparency policies that would prevent the platform from being a major vector for misinformation and disinformation campaigns in the future. Moreover, the platform has rolled back many of the emergency policies it adopted around the election. As a consequence, J6 may be just the beginning. Without action, misinformation and disinformation actors and new narratives are likely to expand again on the platform. After years of exposure to a polluted, uh, polluted information ecosystem, America's political immunity is already weakened. Consequently, tragic events like the one we saw in D.C. at the beginning of the year could become a mainstay of President Biden's term. If the administration and Congress do not prioritize fixing this issue, all of their policy priorities from the COVID-19 response to racial justice could be sabotaged. American democracy remains fragile, given there is so much at stake. President Biden and members of Congress have no time to waste. They can no longer wait for Zuckerberg to take his platform's failure seriously. They need to push forward immediately on investigation and regulation. Moreover, it is not only American democracy that is at risk. With important elections in Mexico, Ethiopia, Hong Kong, Germany, Iraq, and elsewhere scheduled for this year, and increased economic instability due to COVID-19, the international community at large needs these democratic protections. The United States has a responsibility to the world to ensure that Facebook and other American-based tech platforms do not cause further harm. The findings in this report will provide the White House, Congress, and policymakers around the world with a window into what the platform could have done better. So, like I said, the uh, study and uh, assessment and solutions all from this one page from Avaz will be in the description and you can check out furthermore. What I very much find interesting is that a lot of people you know, based on this past article that I had read in this one, is that, you know, a lot of people are focusing on big tech and how it organizes extremist groups, or at least allows extremist groups to organize upon them. But the mainstay problem for conservatives on these platforms is their censorship. 
the weariness of being censored. And I, I just find that a very fascinating position to take as we have, uh, you know, militias organizing and spreading misinformation, disinformation, which we also allege that, you know, China has taken part in, Russia has taken part in. But the main focus for conservatives is to have their voices heard, which I think having that myopic view of the power of big tech without really looking at the rest of it, as we just did with this Avaz study, is really underserving the American voter and the American citizen. So I leave this in the description for you to do with thou will. Now, uh, George Floyd's case has been continuing on. Uh, I have been picking up as much as I can. I don't know anybody who really has the time or money to watch all of the coverage, but I will do my best uh, effort to steer some clarity into this Tim Pool segment. Um, he, what's funny too is that he uh, turned a tweet into a segment. Um, I can't remember exactly what his tweet was. I know he references it in this segment here, um, but I had a response to it because it was a very uh, weak tweet indeed. So I'm going to try and find that just real quick. Do, 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 do. Uh, let's see. Scroll, 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 scroll. Okay. So Tim Pool says the defense just needs reasonable doubt that Chauvin had intent to cause harm or act negligently. This is them raising doubt as to whether Chauvin was even responsible for killing Floyd. And that was in a response to a retweet that said, On, cross, on cross-examination, Dr. Lindsay Thomas, a prosecution expert witness, concedes that if she was examining a dead body that died just at home without George Floyd's heart problems and with Floyd's levels of fentanyl and methamphetamine, she would di- diagnose it as an overdose. So again, Tim Pool's tweet reads, The defense just needs reasonable doubt that Chauvin had intent to cause harm or act negligently. This is them raising doubt as to whether Chauvin was even responsible for killing Floyd. Now, after reading uh, first degree, second degree, and third degree murder charges in Minnesota, I realized and I responded that third degree in Minnesota does not need intent. So they do not need to prove his intent to harm. Um, They merely need to show that he was negligent in uh, in his act of violence. But also... This line of questioning by the defense had to eliminate specifics from the case to raise that reasonable doubt, so it missed the mark. By saying that without George Floyd's heart problems and a uh, knee on his neck, if you found him dead at home with these levels of fentanyl and methamphetamine, would you not rule his death an overdose? And she said, well, without those other factors, I would. You're, You're literally stripping away evidence from this case to prove your point of reasonable doubt of him being killed by a knee on his neck cool um all right so we'll get more into that but i just it's it's already very fascinating but as i went through tim Pool's segment beforehand on this it's so obvious his biases are just always so obvious but i think this one highlights them pretty well um and i, I i'll get into that let's 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 let it run let's see make no mistake yesterday was a particularly good day for the prosecution in the criminal trial of Derek chauvin a medical expert who was not paid 
testified that it was the actions of Derek Chauvin that resulted in the death of George Floyd, explaining how Floyd would not have been able to inflate one side of his lungs due to the pressure on his back. And they even had an exhibit where Derek Chauvin's foot was off the ground, meaning at least half his weight was going into the neck of George Floyd. I saw this photo. Now, he's talking about a singular photo. If you watch the video, which I talked about this with the whole Crowder experiment, um, if you watch the video, not once is his toes uh, tucked in on the side of his knee. His he he is always having his foot um, hanging uh, off the ground. So you could say that it's not in just that picture. It's pretty much most of the time that he is holding down George Floyd, if not the entire nine minutes that he is distributing 50% of his body weight just on George Floyd's neck. And I thought it was very compelling. But even though it was a good day, and today seems to be a good day, the defense still scored a major slam dunk. And it seems that previous testimony over the past several days, well, it's just been backfiring on the prosecution. So even with this one good moment, it still seems, in my opinion, Derek Chauvin is on track for an acquittal. And the rhetoric from those paying attention. And see, we're watching the same trial, but getting two different uh, views from it. I don't think he's going to get an acquittal. Um, no matter how many times the defense tries to say that there was a physiological response in George Floyd's body uh, to the substances he consumed, there is still uh, a lot of evidence that his death was contributed by the knee on his neck. So my... My likely prediction is that he's going to get either third degree or manslaughter, um, meaning that he negligently killed George Floyd. So I'm not going to say he's going to be acquitted. And I'm very even surprised that he would get this um, perspective at all from, you know, the past days of court. And actually being honest seems to be very much so that this is all but over. Now, that would be foolish to conclude. It's not even to halftime yet. The state is presenting its... Now, his sports analogies that he'll keep applying to this is very cringy to me. I, I don't like the idea. I, I understand there's a prosecution and there's a defense. There's sides. But the point of court is to come to the truth. So when we're really focusing in on winners and losers, I cringe i really cringe and he uses so many sports analogies throughout this whole thing and it's cringy i cannot say it enough cringy this case and the defense has yet to bring up its witnesses but today was particularly interesting the medical examiner today testified that george floyd did die due to the actions of the police but her conclusion was based primarily on the fact that she watched the video when asked about and he's already lying um, so she was the first, uh, witness. And so if I go up here, uh, she did, she did watch the video. Yes, indeed. Um, but she also had more information than that. <laughs> uh, let me see. Let me go up. Let me go up. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see, let's see. Oh, where did I put it? Um, Oh man, it's so far down here in the updates. Hold on. Um, do 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 do. About this case, 
all the video footage. She said what was unique about it was all the video footage. But she said, to prep for the witness stand, Dr. Thomas, this is uh, the witness we are speaking about, uh, looked at medical records from Floyd's past and the one from the Hennepin County Medical Center where he was pronounced dead. She also reviewed videos and other records. She is not going to the stand only with the video in mind, Tim Poole. What would you conclude if you just saw George Floyd dead and you didn't see this? She said heart disease. What if he didn't have a heart condition? She All right. He's even misframing this as well. Like even how the the <laughs> how the defense had framed this question is not authentically presented by Tim Poole. Uh, when Eric Nelson proceeded to ask his questions, he asked her if, you know, with his heart condition and you, you know, he died in his apartment regardless of the drugs and regardless of the knee on it in the police encounter with his heart condition and the cardiac arrest, which is in his autopsy. If he had that cardiac arrest, would you rule it then without those other things going on? Would you rule it that he died of a heart attack? or of heart disease. And she said, yes, without all those other factors. And then the defense said, well, okay, but if we didn't consider his heart condition, and also there wasn't the police knee on his neck, and he died at home with the level of drugs that he had consumed, would you say that he died of a drug overdose? And she said, yes, without including those other factors, that is what I would presume. So, like, already we're a minute and a half in with this misframing and this misrepresentation of what happened at the trial. It's ridiculous. He said, overdose. But I did see the video. She claims it was the police action, which is interesting because you need to keep in mind it's not about proving absolute guilt. It is just about raising reasonable doubts among the jury. Here's a direct quote. Dr. Thomas talks about what a death caused by methamphetamine would be. She says it would be sudden or a full-on seizure. She says Floyd's death was not from meth. She does say Floyd had a small amount in his system. She says that underlying conditions are necessary when there are layers of situations, but for Floyd's case, they aren't necessary. So it's just, it's so fantastic to me how much context, like how much cherry picking of info is really going on already. And that's obviously why we're seeing two different trials is because he's hearing what he wants to hear and not all the information. So that's cool. If you just saw George Floyd dead and you didn't see this, she said heart disease. What if he didn't have a heart condition? She said overdose. But I did see the video. She claims it was the police action. Which is interesting because you need to keep in mind it's not about proving absolute guilt. It is just about raising reasonable doubts among for the defense, not for the prosecution, but for the defense, the jury. Now, this could get political. The jurors might think to themselves, I don't want my city to burn down again because they all know what will happen. And they might still say Derek Chauvin is guilty or the evidence may not be all that compelling. But there was one major moment a few days ago. The expert witness that was brought in by the state who was paid to be there actually testified to the fact that upon arrival, Derek Chauvin would have been legally right if he pulled out his taser and immediately shocked George Floyd. If you're not aware, tasers absolutely can kill and cause cardiac arrest. 
And Chauvin chose to use a lesser force option. That Which is interesting because it, you know, and obviously you have to believe at this point that it was a lesser force option in the fact that he thinks that Derek Chauvin's knee on his neck did not kill him. Um, because it's not a lesser force than a taser if it kills somebody. That being the case, it sounds very much so like reasonable doubt. Right now, the defense is going above and beyond. They don't need to prove that Derek Chauvin didn't kill George Floyd. What the defense needs to prove or, or simply raise is reasonable doubt as to whether or not Chauvin had intent to cause harm or was negligent. They could come right out and say, we know that George Floyd died because of Chauvin, but Chauvin did not intend to do this and he wasn't negligent in his actions. He was he was incredibly negligent in his actions. He was incredibly negligent in his actions. And like the best piece of evidence I can prove for this was the skipping of the recovery position when George Floyd had no longer posed a uh, threat of resistance. That was negligent. They're going even beyond this. They're raising doubts as to whether or not Chauvin had anything to do with the death of George Floyd. And boy, did they get a slam dunk today, as I mentioned. When the expert witness for the state said if she walked into a home and saw George Floyd this way, she would have concluded it was an overdose. Because you have to eliminate all other factors of what actually killed him that day, which was the knee on the neck, which was Derek Chauvin's knee on his back, another officer on his back, and another officer on his legs. And also, the, 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 from what I understand also, too, how they had his left hand pressed into his back or higher up, more in the chest, upper back area. There, there's a, a lot more going on, like him also being planted on the ground, restricting the amount of he can breathe. He was being constricted from the back with officers on his back and also on his front because it was pavement. So, again, if you eliminate all those factors and he's just dead in his apartment with levels of drug with levels of drugs in his system, then yes, you could presume a drug overdose. But with that's only if you eliminate all of the factors except for the drugs in this case. Again, not definitive proof. And many on the left are saying, yeah, well, we all saw the video. And she's saying only in a hypothetical circumstance, my friends, reasonable doubt much? Well, let's read what the mainstream press is saying, because I want to be- You have to create reasonable doubt out of the actual case. You can't create it out of a hypothetical because any hypothetical could be reasonably doubted because what if he had, you know, drugs in his system but was strangulated another way? That you would have to find evidence of something else that would have proved that he was strangled while having drugs in his system. Be fair. Crazy. Okay, these were good days for the prosecution. They do have very compelling evidence. The jury is hearing in no uncertain terms. Yeah, the fact that the death certificate says it was ruled a homicide. That is a big piece of evidence. Chauvin did this, but there's so much more to the case. And if you only read the mainstream media, they're not giving you the full picture. And I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show you exactly what they're saying. And the wonderful thing is, is that Tim Pool is going to do it by doing the same thing that the mainstream media does, which is cherry pick information, take things out of context and give you the news you want to hear. 
before we get started, head over to TimCast. And I'm not going to skip past this part here because I think it's very interesting. Usually I skip past their advertisements for their channels and such, but I'm going to let this one go for a second. To become a member and get access to exclusive members-only segments of the TimCast IRL podcast. More importantly, becoming a member is a way for you to support my work in the event that we get purged, banned, or silenced because, you know, we here at TimCast and TimCast IRL challenge the establishment narrative. Challenge the establishment narrative. And yet, why, for some reason, does their nar- does his narrative sound almost exactly as the right-wing establishment? So when he says establishment, he just means liberals. That's all he means. He means liberals and those who f- lean further to the left. Jeez. Well, if we get banned, we will... Put all our content up at timcast uh, up at timcast.com, and your membership helps. Like I will not stop saying, manufactured dissidents for uh, Republicans because they keep playing this idea that they're not part of the establishment. They are just as much as Democrats are. Us produce this. We're also going to be doing shows, music, movies, comedy specials. We're just going to be producing more and more content and culture to help make positive change. I suppose. Also, don't. And that's funny because they're always focusing on culture because of this old saying that culture or politics is downstream from culture when really they're like swimming upstream because they're just like they're, they're going against like culture evolutioning, like changing. And they're just constantly swimming upstream from their politics going, I'll change you culture. And then finally, I'll have my conservative American dream. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, hit that notification bell. And I'll stress it again. Share this video if you really, really think this is important, because I do. I'm reading CBS right now. I'm reading CNN. I'm reading the mainstream press, and they are not telling you the truth about what's going on in this in this trial. Now, now hold on. They're telling you facts, but they're mm-hmm. giving you only. And it's very interesting that he's able to say that about them without, you know, going to, you know, specific examples. I literally was able to do that with Tim Pool in the first minute and 30 seconds of this video that he just outright uh, misrepresented the witnesses' statements and the line of questioning that came from defense. So let's let's acknowledge that. Key details while omitting many other key details. Let me give you a simple analogy before we read this from CBS News. Imagine you're watching a boxing match passively. You're at a bar. You're talking with your- There we are again with another sports analogy. Your friends, and you can hear the announcer in the background- saying, wow, the prosecution slam dunk, the prosecution slam dunk, the prosecution slam dunk. You're thinking. And then the analogy breaks because <laughs> because how is he going to get it across that it was the prosecution or the defense in, in, in the sports caster analogy? Like, he, like, wow, and it breaks. He immediately just, it went from boxing, now we're back in the courtroom. This is, why even use the sports analogy? Man. Prosecution's got this in the bag. Chauvin's going to jail. Then what happens when Chauvin is acquitted? You see, what's happening is the announcer isn't telling you the slam dunks the defense is nailing, and they may, they may be getting more. This is When it comes to trial, what you need to understand about what is fair and unfair is not equal. The defense doesn't need to raise an equal amount of points to defeat the Again, but the thing is, is that the only way the defense is actually seen as winning is if the jurors are believing that there is a significant enough physiological change 
from the substances that George Floyd had consumed that would affect his death. While the witnesses, the expert witnesses for the past two days have said that those drugs would have had little effect in this circumstance and that it was in fact the intervention of the police with a knee on his neck that killed George Floyd. So you have to ignore that part to continue to think that the defense has the prosecution on the ropes in this weird sports analogy thing that we're doing. No, like, and maybe I have too much hope in the jury right now, but from when, when I'm taking this in, all I keep hearing is that there was negligence on the side of Derek Chauvin, not only applying too much pressure to George Floyd's neck, but also ignoring the conditions that he was in. So regardless, they will continue to use the drugs and the physiological change inside the body to try and make the case that that had to contribute to the death that Derek Chauvin would have had no knowledge of and anybody else would have survived this. But they keep refuting that with every expert witness that they have if you actually watch their full testimonies. The prosecution, they need only a few to establish reasonable doubt. Well, take a look at what CNN reported today. Live updates, medical examiner who conducted George Floyd's autopsy takes stand. The medical examiner who conducted the autopsy of George Floyd has taken the stand in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the fired Minneapolis officer charged in Floyd's death. Hennepin County medical examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker, is testifying about Floyd's cause of death. Baker's testimony comes after three medical experts testified for the prosecution that Floyd died of oxygen deprivation, not drugs, as the defense has suggested. The first witness to take the stand Friday was forensic pathologist Dr. Lindsay Thomas, who testified for the prosecution. She said Floyd would not have died that day if he hadn't been restrained by the police and explained that she was able to rule out a heart arrhythmia or fentanyl overdose as case of death. Quote, the actions of the law enforcement officers resulted in Mr. Floyd's death. Specifically, those actions were sub subdual restraint and neck compression, Thomas said. I will pause again. Very like literally just saying what I just said is that the expert witnesses have basically agreed near consensus that it was more of the law enforcement subdual than George Floyd's heart condition or the drugs. And he just read he actually read the quote there and he's still going to refute it. Very compelling. No joke. I've seen the images and the stills. Very compelling. If Chauvin is guilty, so be it. He should go to prison. If he's not guilty, then he should be acquitted. So far, based on what I've seen and the fact that defense hasn't even begun its case, I, I am leaning absolutely towards an acquittal on all charges. But I'm not a legal expert. I'm just some dude on the Internet complaining in front of a camera. So I could be wrong, but let's read more. Thomas testified she was able to use the video of the fatal arrest to help her rule out other causes of death, including a heart arrhythmia and a fentanyl overdose, two causes the defense has suggested. Thomas said, Someone who died of heart arrhythmia would typically experience a sudden death. She described an example of someone shoveling snow, clutching their chest and falling over very quickly. But in Floyd's case, she said there was nothing sudden about his death. That's I'm going I'm, to I got to stop. OK, I'm confused. It was sudden. It literally was. Floyd was yelling and resisting actively with strength. According to the expert testimony from one of the state's own paid witnesses, the active resistance was legal justification for Chauvin to walk up with a taser and tase George Floyd. 
he was actively resisting with strength and using his legs to eject himself from a police vehicle. He said, put me on the ground, put me on the ground. So they did. George Floyd was yelling mama and things of that nature. At one point, he's accused of, of yelling something about ingesting drugs, though we don't know if that's true. George Floyd was expressed, which is why I don't even know you why you would bring that, because Eric Nelson had tried to uh, show that clip to uh, one of the witnesses saying uh, it sounds like he's saying uh, I ate a lot of drugs. And then another witness had heard it and said I and said that he heard I ain't do no drugs. So I don't even know why you would bring up this like really, um, I don't know, like weak piece of information up. Why would you bring that up? expressing himself vigorously. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. I Which is at the point when they should have moved him into the recovery position and should have actually tried to perform CPR if, the, if his uh, situation was critical at that point. So it, it, even so, even if he, wasn't, if he wasn't talking anymore and he had gone limp, doesn't necessarily mean he even died instantly because George Floyd was not pronounced dead until May 26th. So he did not die instantly. I don't know how you describe that as not sudden. Perhaps George Floyd I just touch his how. chest because he was pinned to the ground. Perhaps the officer's actions did lead to this moment. But I certainly think this is a politically biased assessment. But it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the jury thinks. Those are my thoughts. How is it a politically biased when literally it's coming from an expert witness? When is it when is it not going to be politically biased when it's in the favor of Derek Chauvin? That's when you're going to go. Oh, there's that. There's that neutral position I've been waiting for. And that's what I'm serving you now. It's dumb thoughts. Let's read more. She said she was also able to use video to rule out a fentanyl overdose during which someone would typically become sleepy and their breathing would gradually slow. Thomas said she felt comfortable, comfortable ruling out both of those causes of death. Far be it from me to challenge the expertise of a medical examiner, and I will state. And yet you just did by saying that that last statement was a political bias. That's so weird. <laughs> it's just it's like instant flip flop for the 50th time. Very compelling. The only thing I could really say to this is maybe the methamphetamine. It was a speedball. It wasn't just fentanyl. So she said she ruled out a fentanyl overdose, but the dude had 19 nanograms per milliliter of methamphetamine in his system. Do you guys know how much that is? You guys know how much that is? It's not a lot. Yeah, I know it sounds a lot, but fucking, fucking 19 nanograms? That's not a lot. That's an upper. That's a stimulant. To me, I, I don't see this as a definitive statement. Will the jury? We'll see how the, how the defense handles this. And I think they did a very good job, but let's read more. Her testimony came a day after another medical expert, Dr. Martin Tobin, testified Floyd died from a low level of oxygen that damaged his brain and caused his heart to stop under the weight of officers pinning him down. Emergency physician and forensic medicine specialist Dr. Bill Smock took the stand Thursday and gave a similar opinion, saying Floyd died not of a drug overdose, but because he had no air left in his body. However, on redirect, See, and yet he brings up yet another expert witness who said the same thing. The defense got some of these experts to say fentanyl overdose causes you to slow your breathing and, and, and stop. In fact, one. In fact, he's uh, misrepresenting again. They didn't say that fentanyl overdose would do that specifically. Fentanyl does that specifically. Fentanyl slows your breath. 
It slows the intake and outtake of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So um, it's not just in overdose cases. It's specifically when you're going through uh, fentanyl that your breath starts to slow. Now, when you're having an overdose, it's a much slower process, or not even a slower process, it's a much quicker process to you having an overdose. That's a much quicker process than just being on fentanyl, which he's blurring the lines of at this point. Expert said it was literally the reason Fentanyl was dangerous. Again, a major slam dunk for the defense. When asked, the defense said to this medical expert, is it, is it true that fentanyl is considered, one of, the, one of the reasons fentanyl is considered dangerous is that it depresses or suppresses your respiratory system. And the doctor went, it's the reason, the reason, not just a reason. Fentanyl. Which is funny because after all the amount of lying that he's gone through, I, I can't take his word on good faith. Um, and it would take me a while to actually find um, that instance there. It, it would take me a minute. Um, let's see. I don't know if I would. Uh, one main is a high blood pressure. No, no. I'm trying to find the thing about trying to find the thing about fentanyl let's see yeah i still i don't even remember that i don't remember her them being that is the reason why it's dangerous is that it slows down the breath because it's a side effect of fentanyl. The reason why fentanyl is actually the the danger of fentanyl is that it's like many times stronger than morphine. If not on the level of morphine. Like it's that's that's the danger is how easy it is to overdose. Not that it has side effects, which is what he's oh god blurring so many lines and it's so obvious that it's for his like viewers and followers to like when he actually like if Chauvin is uh found guilty and given a third degree or manslaughter that they're going to say then it was a political trial and that it was to appease Black Lives Matter so they wouldn't burn down the the cities and th that's why we're feeding this kernel of barely any truth in it when you take it you slowly stop breathing you're not taking in enough oxygen and you die. That could be the contributing reason. And, and, and look, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't definitive. But dare I say those words again? Reasonable doubt. CBS says Chauvin, who was seen in disturbing videos kneeling on Floyd, is charged with second degree, third degree. All right. My apologies. It's 80 to 100 times stronger than morphine. That's the danger. Not that it has a side effect that everybody goes through which is the slowing down of breath. That, that is in a, a normal side effect of opioids, of depressants. So um, yeah, that's not the danger. Second and third degree murder and manslaughter. Chauvin has pleaded not guilty, so this we understand. Now, where in this story do they mention the defense one time? They don't. Why not? The defense scored a major slam dunk. We'll I don't have the entire article in front of me, so I'm not sure if they brought it up or not. Chamberlain. But the thing is, though, is that I follow Unicorn Riot uh, on Twitter, and they post every 
question and answer that comes from both the defense and the prosecution. So if you want a less narrative-based reporting of this, Unicorn Riot on Twitter, um, at UR underscore Ninja. Who's actually a lawyer. And, you know, conservatives aren't going to like that one because Unicorn Riot is a usually left-leaning um, kind of reporting base where, you know, they usually show a lot of, the, like, uh, protests on the sides of, like, left-wing movements, not necessarily taking any positions, but usually taking, you know, not like, you know, narrating the protest and talking about the movement. Usually they're just there on the side of, like, Black Lives Matter and filming it. And that's essentially what they're doing here. So I would say that Unicorn Riot has sympathies for left wing, and I'm not sure 100% if their ideology is left wing. I'm not really that concerned about it. But as far as I've been witnessing from their posts on the live updates coming from uh, the Derek Chauvin trial, it's constantly prosecutors, when they're asking questions, their questions are posted with the answers. And when the defense is up asking questions, they post their questions with the answers. And that's literally it. There's no, this is a good bet. This is a good question. This is a bad question. This is a slam dunk. This is an air ball. None of that. Just the questions and the answers. Not in this field, but he, he understands law. Said, on cross-examination, Dr. Lindsay Thomas, a prosecution expert witness, concedes that if she was examining a dead body that- And this is the tweet that I was talking about. Died just at home without George Floyd's heart problems, or and the with this level neck. of fentanyl and methamphetamine, she would diagnose it as an overdose. But hold on. What about all that stuff about sudden death or getting sleepy? Well, I could see the video. That's a fair point. But there's so many circumstances. The question is reasonable doubt. Jack Posobiec highlights this one portion. It's funny is that he's, he's like, I'm not going to question an expert witness, but then subtly did it right there. Just real subtle. Like, oh, yeah, she, there's a lot of circumstances, though, isn't there? The defense says, if you, flound, if you found George Floyd in his residence with his heart like this, what would you conclude was his cause of death? The medical examiner says heart disease. We have she didn't say just heart disease. She said without all the other factors, heart disease. More. The defense says. Was there any evidence of pressure on George Floyd's back at the autopsy? The medical examiner said. Not the frame of the question again, either. It was, were there signs of bruises on George Floyd's back? No, that is beyond a slam dunk. It's a grand slam. I know two different sports, but you get the point. Cringe. You testified to me that based on what you saw and this guy yesterday, that it was the pressure on George Floyd's back that prevented him from breathing. But the autopsy showed no evidence of pressure on his back. That means- Again, they asked for bruises. They asked for bruises. His asphyxiation was the sign of pressure on his back. The video was a sign of pressure on his back. The other officers on his back was signs of pressures on his back. Even the medical examiner from the day before, the physiologist had said that without the knee on his back, holding his right side down, he would have had more room to try and breathe. Means if you didn't look at the politically charged video where people are yelling and they're screaming and they're saying he's killing that man. You would have concluded heart pro That is not a politically charged video. It is a humanistic charged video to watch somebody sit on somebody's neck for nearly nine minutes. It's, there's, there's no politics involved in that. And that's why I find it super fascinating that right after George Floyd's death, 
all of the right-wing con- commentators were saying how this was an egregious act. It was horrifying to watch. But now, now it's a political video. Now it's it's evidence. It's not a horrifying act. It's it's a politically charged video. Like it's amazing what an effect of a year can do. Problems are drug overdose and found no evidence of pressure on the man's back. Amazing. Listen, the defense does not need misrepresenting everything that's going on in the trial. Amazing. To bring about reasonable doubt as to the cause of death. The the charges against Derek Chauvin are second degree murder third-degree murder, and manslaughter. What this means, second-degree murder is the intent to kill, but not premeditated. Third-degree murder is intent to cause harm resulting in death. And manslaughter is negligence that results in death. Perhaps they could try and argue negligence. But the point is, the defense can... I I mean, if I was a lawyer, I would try to argue uh, the intent to cause harm. um, Because... You know, even in restraint, you know, you use a taser that's obviously causing harm to subdue somebody. So a knee on the neck is causing harm to subdue somebody. So um, you could still argue third degree murder. And say outright in no uncertain terms, the defense can look the jury in the eye and say Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. It was his actions that he took that resulted in the death of George Floyd. However, he had no intent to kill George Floyd. He did we don't actually know that for sure. He did not have any intent to cause harm to George Floyd. We don't know that for sure either, because his face also has a ton of scrapes from his face being forced to the pavement because there was a knee on his neck. His nose bled. Whether he intended to cause harm would have to come from his mouth. And he wasn't negligent. Like he would have to say it like I intended to hurt him in order to 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 uh to uh to subdue him. But if the jury can easily look at his actions as harmful actions in an attempt to subdue, there is still a case there because he was performing a ground control maneuver to restrain an actively resisting suspect. So while an actively resisting suspect who said put me on the ground. So we would even like even the officers who testified days before said that the knee on the neck was too far. And in the training of the video, you're supposed to have it on the base of their neck between their shoulder blades, not on the neck. So there's again, we're ignoring so much. George George Floyd may have may have died, or you could definitively say he did die because of Derek Chauvin. The defense need only say Chauvin was trained to do this. He was told to do this. He was charged by the state with literally doing this. Yeah, and that's the perfect excuse, right? Like at the Nuremberg trials with all the Nazis, that that got him off, right? You know, they were told by the 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 state to kill Jews, to torture Jews, to persecute Jews. They were just doing their job. His intent was not to cause harm or to kill, and he wasn't negligent. You can't just say that. You can't just say it. Like, of course, Derek Chauvin would say that because if he said that he intended to kill George Floyd, he would easily get a second degree murder. But as someone who's an outside observer of the case, you cannot say specifically what the intent and motivations of Derek Chauvin were. You're only assuming that because he wears an outfit of peacekeeping.
negligent because he was doing the training as he understood it. Not negligence, simply doing his duty. Can we be mad that George Floyd died because this officer was just doing his duty? Absolutely. But the problem here is the state, the war on drugs and the police training. Not the I agree with those things, but also that uh, another uh, witness had said that the type of restraint that Derek Chauvin used was not a part of Minneapolis Police Department training. So he received that training for that position somewhere else. So can we blame the police department for him using an outside, uh, an, an outside move? Like that wasn't a part of their department training, but yet he used it anyway. So it's not necessarily at the police department's fault either. The individual officer. With that being said, the defense is going well ab above and beyond. They're actually raising reasonable doubt as to what even killed George Floyd. They're really not. They're only serving that to the people who continually buy into that the drugs had more of a ph physiological effect to George Floyd's death than the knee on his neck. Right now, you've met Rosebud. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Rosebud. Rosebud. Rose. No barkies. Can you let Rose out real quick? Can you let Rose out real quick? She's being unruly mid-podcast. Thank you. Oh, I love losing my point. Um, but yeah, no. The, the only way you think that the defense is actually doing well is if you continually believe that the, the drugs had more to do with his death than the knee on his neck, which would go against every expert witness that they've had so far. Medical examiner saying it could have been an overdose. I don't think it was because I saw a video, but... And if I didn't, you know, if I just saw the man, I would have ruled this. I'm sorry, man. That is absolutely reasonable doubt in my opinion. Because you're incredibly biased. Like, this is so much Tim Pool coming to the defense of the defense than it is actually objectively looking at the trial. In this tweet from Jack Pozobic, if you found- Oh, Jack Pozobic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he has no biases. Oh, boy. Yeah, go Google that one. George Floyd at home with that amount of fentanyl and meth, would you rule it an overdose? Yes, an overdose. And immediately many people started saying things like, but it's a hypothetical. She's, she's just saying hypothetically, no, she's saying she knows what caused his death. An expert opinion is not. A she said that the knee on his neck caused his death, that the subduing by the police caused his death. And again, there he's misrepresenting like the, the questioning even Jack Posbiek is doing the same thing. Like he's reading his tweet and they're both mi misrepresenting the, 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 uh, the, the, what her answer. And here's the actual answer. Eric Nelson asks if Dr. Thomas would consider it an overdose. If hypothetically there was no law enforcement presence, no heart problems, just the same amount of drugs in Floyd found in Floyd's system. She says, if drugs were the only aspect present, then she would consider it a cause. Jack Posbiak merely put, yes, comma, overdose. That was not her answer. I watched it live. It's an absolute fact. The defense knows this, and they are, as I stated, going above and, above and beyond. By raising reasonable doubt as to what caused the death of George Floyd, they're undercutting the entire set of charges. If that doesn't work, the defense can fall back on, well, 
You heard there could have been other reasons for the death of George Floyd. Though the experts disagree, there is the possibility. Except you didn't from any of the experts. Except you didn't. Any of them that were brought to the trial. You did not hear that from any of them. Oh. Just like the, the reaching going on at this point is just magnificent. Would you agree? Yes. That's basically what they've all said. We've also heard expert testimony that Chauvin could have used more force and he chose not to. So intent is out the window. Okay. All that being said, Chauvin did not want to kill or harm George Floyd. He simply wanted to have him restrained until the EMS arrived. As the other Minneapolis police detective. Or Which again, uh, the way that he did it was the incorrect way. Because after someone has done is done resisting, you are supposed to move them in the restoration position. Okay? So uh, waiting for EMS to arrive was the wrong thing to do. That, that that was proved uh, days ago by one of the expert witnesses who talked about the maximum restraint uh, maneuver. So let's know. No. Our department cop testified to. He said that he had done similar things, restraining someone until the EMS arrived. So you could actually argue, and this is crazy, that Derek Chauvin was simply trying to restrain Floyd in order to help him, in order to keep him subdued while help was on the way. I'm sorry. He would have needed less help had there not been a knee on his neck constricting the flow of air from where it enters the body. Intelligence is out the window in that case. During the IRL pod, uh, during, during, uh, during one of our episodes of the Timcast IRL podcast discussing this, Ian, who many of you may know if you watch the show, brought up a really interesting point. He said he thinks it, could, it will be murder because Chauvin and Floyd actually worked at the same establishment at the same time some time ago. Many people brought this up. They wondered if Chauvin knowing Floyd was now going to be used to say, wow, he knew this guy. He probably killed him. But I counter with something else. When we learned that Derek Chauvin could have used a taser and chose not to, my question is this. I have this clip from the Posebiek. Uh... You find a person at, at home. No struggle with the police, right? Um, and you, the person doesn't have a heart problem, but you find fentanyl and methamphetamine in this person's system at the levels that they are at, would you certify this as an overdose? Again, in the absence of any of these other realities, um, yes, I could. In the absence of these other realities, literally in the very tweet by Jack Posbiak, where he even misquotes her, the clip says it all. Let me go right, right back to where she says it. Again, in the absence of any of these other realities. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in Tim Pool Misrepresents a Trial. Could it be that Derek Chauvin was given a priority one call, which is where they tell you to put your sirens and your lights on? They say we've got a six foot five, 230 pound man resisting arrest and we need help now. So Chauvin speeds to the scene with his lights on. Priority one. <clears throat> he gets out of his vehicle, grabs his taser, and then sees the man and goes, dude, that's Floyd. I know that guy. I can't tase him. I know him. And puts his taser. And now we're just completely playing in fantasy world. 
Like at this point, we're just completely assuming any intent and motivation from Derek Chauvin. Now we're just completely in imagination land. This is useful. You're away and chooses to use a restraint instead. I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying Chauvin is a good guy. I don't know. But why did everyone immediately assume that just because Chauvin knew Floyd, it was a bad thing? You could actually because that leans a lot harder on the actual intent to kill. Like in, in your in, entire fascination, you assume that as soon as he saw Floyd, he knew him and was like, oh, I can't hurt this guy. But when he dies and everybody finds out that Derek Chauvin knew him prior to the situation, of course, people are going to assume, assume the worst, Tim. Of course. Argue, what are we doing? Is it possible that Chauvin decided to use a lesser force option because he knew Floyd? That throws negligence and intent again out the window. My friends, there are multiple points of reasonable doubt here. Like I said, though, the media tends to only give you one perspective. And that's very true, as I'm pointing out here. Will Chamberlain mentioning the uh, cross-examination, I tweeted, the defense just needs reasonable doubt that Chauvin had intent to cause harm or act negligently. This is them raising doubt as to whether Chauvin was even responsible for killing Floyd. Now, before I get he into the medical testimony, because I do want to bring up the, the, the uh, legal insurrections analysis from yesterday, because I don't want to just sit here and tell you all's well in Chauvin land. No, I want to be honest and I want to talk to you about the benefit or the, the And so far in the past 18 minutes, I have shown you multiple cases and when Tim Pool has not been honest. So him saying he wants to be honest should not be taken honestly. Prosecutions gains on this one. I want to make sure you understand that they're actually not doing all that bad in these past couple of days or yesterday. I should say yesterday and today. The point is, however, should I come out with another video titled prosecution does well when it's all the mainstream media is saying? I can't in good conscience do that. I definitely want to make sure I read you the story talking about what they did well. You could actually come in with a totally neutral title that says Chauvin trial week two, rather than what the title of this is Chauvin trial lawyer lands slam dunk again using state's own witness. Comma, but Floyd prosecutors did well. Like you could obviously just have it Chauvin trial week two. Now that would actually be a lot more neutral than what you decided to go with. But I have to highlight defense making gains. Otherwise, people will only hear that one side. It's a challenge. It really is. Before I get in, I like how he feels the necessity since there's one side being heard on the liberal media legend. Le, what, do, what do they call that? Not legendary. What do they call it? Uh, uh, forget it. They call it something else. Legacy media. That's what they call liberal media. They call it legacy media now, which is weird. Um, it's, it's so obvious. Like, why do you, do you feel the need to go to Derek Chauvin's side? Other than the fact that you feel like he needs the support. Why else? Into this about the medical wrap up. I want to point out some jury irregularities. This is really interesting. Check this out from CNN. Judge questions juror about outside influences in Chauvin trial. A member of the jury in the Derek Chauvin trial was questioned Friday morning by Judge Peter Cahill about some concerns expressed over outside influences, according to reports from two courtroom pool reporters. The questioning of jurors took place on the record before testimony in the trial began Friday, but broadcast of video and audio was not allowed by the judge. Now, that's interesting to me. The woman juror told Cahill she had turned on a television and briefly saw coverage and saw an image of the courtroom with a woman with dark hair. The woman explained to the judge that her volume was off 
and she quickly turned off the TV, according to the report. When Cahill asked the woman if she had any contact with her family about the case, the woman replied that her mother-in-law had texted her and said, looks like it was a bad day, according to one report. The second pool reporter differed and said the text was from the woman's mother. The woman told the judge she did not respond to that text. Quote, any book deal in the works? Judge Cahill asked. The woman became slightly flustered or surprised, according to one report. No, I don't know how this case is going to go. The woman responded. She reiterated she hasn't talked to anyone about the trial. According to the reports, after the woman left the courtroom, Cahill asked if attorneys wanted to make any motions. Defense attorney Eric Nelson declined. Prosecutor Steve Schleicher, Schleicher, Schleicher said he would like the record to note the woman's demeanor. Cahill noted the woman seemed surprised. Interesting. Did someone offer a juror a book deal? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> like, uh, honestly, even more reaching, like just based off of a judge asking that question is like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a book in the works. Ooh, ooh. Like, oh, my God. The speculations that he's willing to do are so dumb. So dumb. If that's the case, is this juror tainted? And is there going to be an acquittal or a conviction? What would make the book sell more? This hypothetical opinion, book. An acquittal. <laughs> you know why? Right now, as I mentioned, the media keeps saying the defense is doing really well. And there's some good reasons to say so, but they're omitting key evidence, key, key instances that are great for the defense. Uh. If everybody hears the prosecution is winning and then the prosecution loses and Chauvin is acquitted, what would make a book sell? A juror writing, here's how Derek Chauvin got acquitted. And she'd probably say, I was opposed to it. And I ended up, I, I wanted guilty, but oh, you no. You could write a book on either side of this. Honestly, you really could. You, even if Derek Chauvin is found guilty, I'm sure anybody could end up writing a book of my time during the Derek Chauvin trial or some shit like that. Like anybody could write a book off of this. It's a, it's a nationwide trial. Like these are massive. That's That's so funny. Because like what the 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 movie um, uh, trial of the Chicago Seven, they were found guilty. There was a book. They weren't acquitted, and then there was a book. Why why are we doing this? What does this even have to do with any relevancy to the actual case itself? Oh, all the other jurors. That's what you could expect. Because if Chauvin is convicted, and again, Tim Pool also said that Trump was going to win by a landslide. So let's not take his prediction seriously. Everybody gets predictions right occasionally. If you keep throwing out enough, you're probably going to get some right. But um, I'm not going to buy Tim Pool's bullshit at this moment. And he may be. Why would someone want to read the book? Which is interesting, because the woman then said, "No, I don't know how the trial is going to go." Perhaps the book deal was in the event that Chauvin is acquitted. Again, just <laughs> would you like to write about how it happened in the uh, event he's convicted? As many as many people watching mainstream media would expect, who's going to want to read a book about why it happened? Some people, I suppose. Well, here's the analysis <laughs> from Legal Insurrection. They have been absolutely nailing so it. I am not a legal expert, but Legal Insurrection has made it very easy for me to understand. Uh, for the most part, there's some jargon in there. Andrew Branca has been tracking the case live. And I, based on, look, I watched the trial live. Branca seems to be giving the most honest interpretation of what's going on, not omitting things and telling you to your face, today was good for the prosecution, today was good for the defense, yesterday was this, yesterday was that. 
And that's that's what- not what you need to know. You need to know the informations of the case. Like he's honestly like, I go to this website because I can easily get the score of what's going on. Oh, they're up today. Oh no, they're down today. Shucks. Like it's still this whole sports men- sports mentality around a court case. Court is literally served to find the truth and hold those accountable. That's pretty much it. So if we're gonna keep playing it like it's some weird game, our system is beyond broken, which it is. But like I just I I I hate that he's acting like this is part of normality. What I expect. I, I'm not going Im- to, I can't imagine reading CBS and thinking like all of this great stuff for the prosecution and just assuming the defense doesn't exist. There's a defense in this case. There's a lawyer. He's arguing things. What are they? C- CBS didn't say it. It's going to be bad. Legal Insurrection says Chauvin trial day nine wrap up. Medical experts resuscitate prosecution case. Brilliant. Right? I mean, he just made it obvious. The reason why he went to legal insurrection is because he wanted a more, uh, look into the defense rather than the, the the prosecution so like just laying out your biases out in the open in front of everybody just bearing your right-wing soul and saying that i really want the cop to make it out of this and where's his defense i want to know how he's doing yeah writing by the way medical expert gave testimony the state needed without imploding on cross it was it was really good bronca writes Today, and so I'm, so I'm sorry, this is from yesterday. The state presented three medical and science experts. The first was Dr. Martin Tobin, physician in pulmonary and critical care medicine, Chicago, presented an expert witness on respiratory matters. As an expert witness on res- respiratory matters, he was followed by Daniel Eisenschmidt, forensic toxicologist at MS Laboratories, who was involved in drug testing Floyd's blood. And the day closed with Dr. William Smock, emergency medical physician and self-described police surgeon who, ex- who discussed excited delirium in some cases. He wasn't, uh, Bronca says, I won't bury the lead. Today's trial proceedings looked a lot more typical for a prosecution presenting its case in chief than has been the case so far in Minnesota v. Chauvin. What I mean by that is the state finally had a day in which its own witnesses did not end up doing the defense more good than themselves. That's a very important point. This is the day nine rack- wrap up. For, uh, wit- oh, I, I paused it because I thought I was going to comment, but I'm not let's, let's uh, for, the, for the trial. And one day so far, the state's witnesses didn't backfire. Incredible. Yeah, that that's another thing of the right wing persuasion is that like all of the state witnesses so far have worked against them. And I haven't seen any evidence towards that either. So um it would be great if they could speak specifically on who exactly was the, you know, the the ones tipping the scales on the side of the, the defense. Because so far, all I have seen is that Derek Chauvin was in the wrong and excessive force when they brought on their uh, police expertise. And uh, even like the Minneapolis police chief had said that that, uh, that was excessive force. So again, I don't know who he's talking about where it's been rough for the prosecution, but I guess you would have to be consuming nothing but right-wing media to come away with that perspective. Bronca says, we've grown so accustomed to Nelson simply having his way with prosecution witnesses that today might appear as if it were bad for the defense. It would be more accurate to say it was not a great day for the defense, which is quite a change from past experience. You, some would say it was a bad day, but I would say it just wasn't great. <laughs> In truth, however, this is what every day of the tribal trial should have looked like so far. Right now, it is the prosecution in charge presenting their case in control of direct questioning. The defense is very limited 
in what they can do on cross-examination. They can't simply produce their own evidence for the jury. They can't argue with state, state's witnesses. They are limited in their cross-examination to only the issues the state has chosen to raise in their direct questioning. Which didn't change from the days prior. Like, how, did, how would that change at all? It's just like the medical evidence, the autopsy, the toxicology report, none of that is on their side. And even with the, the excessive force case made by the other police officers was not on the defense's side either. So I literally do not know where they're getting this perspective from. These are, are, these are all real and substantive constraints on the defense while the prosecution is presenting their case in chief. The amazing thing about this trial to date is how well the defense has been doing, even while bound by those constraints. Today was, again, far more typical of what, you, what should be expected. The prosecution is putting forth its witnesses, framing the issues the way they want them framed, asking the scope of questions the way they want them. The defense does exactly the same thing, and I read to you exactly how they did that. Eric Nelson of the defense asked if Dr. Thomas would consider it an overdose if hypothetically there was no law enforcement present. No heart problems, just the same amount of drugs in Floyd's system. She says if drugs were the only aspect present, then she would consider it a cause. So even with the state's witnesses, they are able to frame their questions. So what What are we... Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've, I've reached explosion point. This is dumb. Them scoped. And, and it goes on to say, every day should make the prosecution look just awesome. The turnaround... On that perception really ought not to be expected until the defense has their turn at bat, gets to present their own witnesses to frame the issues the way they want them framed, ask the scope of questions the way they want them scoped, and the state finds itself bound by all the constraints that so far have limited only the, only the defense. This is also why I urge all of you not to make day-to-day -day judgments about how the trial is going, at least not in the sense of expecting any day's events to predict the likely outcome of the trial. A football game is not decided in the first half, and More a criminal prosecution analogies. ought not be expected to wrap when only the state's version of the narrative has been fleshed out in court. Now, the reason I wanted to read that uh, in detail, you mean to tell me, sir, good sir, Mr. Bronca, that it's not over yet. You don't want me to draw any conclusions. Yeah, literally no court case is over until the jury has a verdict. That's, that's how court works. But in your opinion... It's been going really bad for the prosecution for some time, and the defense hasn't even begun to fight. We have not yet begun to fight, saith Defense Nelson. Okay, uh, you're the legal expert, and with I'm generally interested too in who the witnesses that they're going to try and provide, um, because the state prosecutors have mainly stuck to people who are very relevant. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in expert witnesses just to um, contradict the other expert witnesses that the state has pulled. I'd, I would not be surprised by that whatsoever. Respect. I'll take your word for it. It's very, it would be very smart to wait because what if the defense falls apart and their case is just awful? I don't think so, though. I think we are watching a trouncing. We are watching the defense have its way with the prosecution, and they're not putting up that good of a fight. Now, they've been able to get some good points in so far based on what I've seen. But when I watch this as someone who's not a legal expert who knows only, you know, basic things about law, what you need to understand is that again, you would only see good points coming from the defense if you truly believe that uh, George Floyd did not die of a homicide, which uh, is written on his death certificate. So you're just ignoring, just ignoring facts. 
the lawyers, the, the, the prosecution, the defense are trying to make this understandable by laymen, the jury, regular people, not lawyers. So I don't know what the, what the jurors think, and I don't know how their biases and opinions will play into this. But I, as an outside observer, we'll say, we'll say, we'll say for the sake of an impartial outside, outside of observer, I think it's going really well for Chauvin. The reason for and that's why he's not impartial is by him focusing so hard on coming to the defense of Derek Chauvin right now is it's not impartial at all. That is, I'm reading more than the mainstream press. I'm reading legal analysis from conservatives and moderates, not necessarily liberals, because they're only really telling you what you want to hear, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, because conservatives don't do that at all, even though I had already alleged that this is what this is early on. Like, it's so obvious that they, like as soon, it, it, you know, if Derek Chauvin is found guilty of third degree or manslaughter, they, the, like, the, they will spare no time in coming out and saying that the only reason why they, the jury did that was to protect the city from more BLM riots. I, I, I hope that prediction is wrong. I really do. But I would not be surprised. But I'm watching MSNBC. I'm seeing what they're saying. I'm watching the trial and I'm hearing what legal insurrection and conservatives are saying. And I got to tell you, if you're listening to the news, the mainstream press, yeah, you're on a bubble, man. Yeah, there's Reasonable no bubble on the right side. Don't you forget it. He goes on to say, the state got what it needed to get done today with expert witnesses who unambiguously told the jury that Floyd's death was the direct result of the police restraint used to hold him. Like for- This honestly reminds me of when Tim Pool just kept saying that Trump was going to be win by a landslide and that Republicans were going to win by a landslide. We're, we're about to see a red November. He didn't say that, but he was basically alleging before the election that it was just going to be like a red landslide of Republicans gaining office and retaining office. And he was wrong. So just just or EMS, period. And that nothing else mattered. Not Floyd's fentanyl level, not Floyd's substantial comorbidities, not Floyd's poorly made decision to fight for police officers against lawful arrest. So and again, using the word to say he fought against them is a very much hyperbole of the actual situation. George Floyd was resisting an arrest in a way that he was difficult, but saying that he was fighting, that is exaggeration. As would normally be expected at this point in the trial, but which has gone missing up to now, the state had a good day. That's not to say the defense did poorly within the constraints already described. I will note that defense counsel Eric Nelson definitely appeared tired today. He was hoarse and clearing his throat. Could he be wearing down with any luck tomorrow? Friday will be an early day and he'll have the weekend to get some rest and relaxation. I trust he'll be back to form on Monday. It must be said that getting handed new state exhibits at night as occurred to him just last night after being in court all day and knowing that review of those exhibits will be a, will be necessary for cross-examination of witnesses today certainly can't be making his job any easier. So let's slow down. Could it be that the only reason the prosecution had a good day yesterday was because the defense was exhausted? You know, the prosecution has multiple lawyers. You see how unconcerned with actual facts and evidence that they are is that the defense was doing poorly because the lawyer was tired. Like, that's how much they do not care about evidence. Cool. And some have pointed out, some, some left outlets, leftist outlets, that it's a bit unfair, but not really. Just that you've got four, I think, four lawyers for the state, a couple working behind the scenes and then two prosecutors and only one defense lawyer. It would be even better if Chauvin had multiple lawyers because 
I, I wonder if people realize this stuff. I know a lot of people probably do, especially if you're an athlete. You don't think they ha that like Eric Nelson doesn't have a team of like either uh, you know assistants outside of the courtroom? Like are, the, the the only reason why they wouldn't be in the courtroom right now is because we're still dealing with COVID. So it, it would be pretty obvious that when he's outside of the courtroom, he would probably have multiple people doing research and trying to pull together uh, their their defense. I don't think Eric Nelson is pulling these lone wolf long nights all by himself. That's ridiculous. No, Nobody does that. Wait. When you work, when you talk, you drain yourself. Some people seem to think, oh, when I go running, I get really tired. So I could probably stand for a long period. Of no, 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 no. Listen. It's really amazing when you watch an MMA match. People run out of gas. They really do. Some of the strongest people. Another sports analogy that will definitely not fit to uh, being in a courtroom. People, when they're fighting with that, that, that intensity for a few minutes, they get exhausted. Nelson is one guy up against many, up against the state. Oh my God. And then we're also, yeah, the, the lone wolf messiah complex is that it's one man against them all. Yeah, that's exactly why the right-wing media is going out of their way to be like, remember, he was on drugs. Remember he his toxicology report. Remember his criminal past. So I can only imagine he might be having a rough go of it. However, he seems to be doing a really, really good job. A really good job. So who's going to win? My friends, I don't know. I can tell you this. Not us. There's going to be riots no matter what happens, apparently. See, who's going to win? Fuck that. What is the outcome? What will be the outcome? Not who's going to win. Again, like looking at court as a win-loss dichotomy is an incredibly toxic way to look at our justice system. Thank you for joining me on my Tim talk. And several Black Lives Matter activists have already alluded to that point. One person even saying it's going gonna, it's gonna to get bad. Let me explain a very simple point on the way out with this segment. Do it. First degree murder would mean that Derek Chauvin... He's not being charged with first-degree murder, so I don't know why we're talking about it. He meditated the killing of George Floyd. We know that's not true. He was only there because he got called to the scene. Second-degree murder would mean that, it, that upon seeing George Floyd, he decided in his mind he was going to kill that man. That's premeditated. <laughs> so he, doesn't, he actually doesn't understand... <laughs> <laughs> what first and second degree is no the the second degree was with the knee on his neck is how he intended to kill him no premeditation involved deciding to kill somebody before enacting the enact the act of killing somebody that's premeditation that's first degree amazing like and he said er, uh, i don't have a very good law understanding but like even that was very simple tim i don't think you can prove that especially with the taser scenario murder three is he intended to the taser scenario doesn't change anything because we don't even know whether or not Derek Chauvin considered using his taser. It was only a line of questioning of whether or not a taser is a reasonable response in trying to restrain George Floyd in that situation. Bad. This is bad reporting. To harm the individual, and that resulted in death. That's nah. manslaughter. I'm sorry, the taser throw all that, stu all that stuff out. That's... that's it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Because e e even if you can consider the maximum restraint as a lower uh, risk of force or a lower risk of death, it did kill somebody. It did. So it's it, at that point, it's not considered less than a taser. It's, it's really amazing testimony. And manslaughter, I believe, would be his negligence uh, causing the death. 
What if negligence in what, Tim? Why wouldn't you expand on what the exact negligence is? Is it because there's actual negligence that you could look towards to where he wasn't responding to the condition of what George Floyd was in when he stopped resisting arrest or when he had become limp? Is is there is it around that area? George Floyd is a cop who's trained to do this. It's different. Listen, you as a regular person, if you pin someone to the ground and put your knee on their neck and they die, they can get you on manslaughter. You're not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be fighting people. You're not supposed to be restraining people. Unless you're acting in self-defense and waiting for somebody. As a cop, you are asked to do this. this and again, I'm going to bring up the Nuremberg trials. So having the duty to do something doesn't make it lawful or correct. And that's, that's a giant piece of why qualified immunity got on the chopping block. So, um, yeah, no, this isn't a good defense. It was his job to restrain George Floyd. But he used the restraint. He used it wrong. And he killed him. So, negligence. This changes things. Regular people think, why, why? It's not fair. Why is the cop getting convicted? Because we asked the cop to do this. The system is the problem. And it's that's not that doesn't make sense either. Nobody was sitting here going like, why isn't Derek Chauvin convicted yet? Due process, man. It's in our fucking constitution. It's not because he's a cop, but it's because we have a due process justice system. How does anybody take this guy seriously? Do you only have to sound marginally smarter than other people to be taken seriously? It's the state. That's the problem. And the state, quite literally, is prosecuting Chauvin for what they are responsible for. The trainings the government provides. And again, Derek Chauvin did not receive training for that restraint from the Minneapolis Police Department. Where did he get it from? We're going to see how this plays out. I'm going to keep tracking this trial, but I got to tell you, it's going to be fun and interesting. Try and read as much as you can if you want to pay attention. Check out LegalInsurrection.com and Andrew Bronca's uh, 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 breakdowns of this, his wrap-ups, seems to be some of the best I've seen so far. So uh, shout out Andrew Bronca, excellent analysis, and uh, I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. All right. Well, at the end of that, I'm going to respond. Don't go to Legal <laughs> Insurrection. Uh, if you got a Twitter, find Unicorn Riot because it comes with a lot less baggage than legal insurrections. And that's been Tox News, the marginally smarter show of news stuff. I'm exhausted after that one. I literally got peak angry. Um, follow me on Twitter at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. Um, like if you liked it. Dislike if you don't. Subscribe, rate, review, share it with a boomer, share it with a Tim Pool fan. Um, and I will catch you soon again. Um, like I said, Unicorn Riot has some of the most just objective reporting of the question and answering in the courtroom that I have seen. So I highly, highly recommend them. And as I said earlier at the beginning, the Avaz study on Facebook's failure to handle misinformation is in the description below. So go check that out. Other than that, have a beautiful, radical, reactionary against right-wing bullshit day. Oh, man.